0: Well, turning your Bibles to First Thessalonians, we're just going to look this morning at really a one time at the book of First Thessalonians, and next week we're going to actually start for the summer, Second Thessalonians, and we'll go through that verse by verse, passage by passage, but this morning what we're going to do is just look at this letter. Now, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and he wrote a one letter, and then he wrote a second letter. We'll talk more about that second letter next week, but he wants them to live for Jesus Christ. They're in persecution. In fact, as Paul went there, they ran him out of town after he led people to Christ, after the church was formed. And so this church is under great persecution. And they're, they're knowing that Jesus Christ could come at any second. So with that in mind, he wants them to know how to live as they await for the Savior. And that's one of the key events in our lives as we think about it, that Jesus Christ could come at any time. We look forward to him. He comes in the clouds to get the body of Christ, the church. We call this the rapture. In fact, the next event is the rapture. We call it the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's the questions. While we wait, while we're here, what are we, what are we to be doing while we wait for his return? What are believers to do? Well, as we look at 1 Thessalonians, Paul is going to give some information about this. In fact, this letter deals with the return of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, that every chapter, and I'm going to show you this in just a minute, every chapter ends with the return of Christ. And so, as we look at this, we want to be encouraged, we want to be informed, we want to be challenged to live out uh, as we live for, for God as we wait for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, we just finished the book of Daniel, and that Old Testament prophecy book was incredible because it not only showed the character of Daniel, but it showed all kind of things about the end times. God gave to Daniel both visions and dreams, though he could talk about and reveal the end times. Daniel saw the first coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to die, and he saw the second coming of Jesus Christ to reign. In fact, as you think about it, you remember this is the chart we put up a lot. That's the first coming. Jesus Christ came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again and ascended back to heaven. There's going to be a second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes to the earth. This is to the earth. This is to the earth as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's going to set up a kingdom and he'll rule for a thousand years. Now, we know that after jesus left that we're in the church age and one of these days jesus christ is going to come get us daniel did not see that because he did not know anything about the church in fact the church was not revealed in the old testament the church was a mystery as paul wrote in the book of ephesians that the church the information about the body of christ was not revealed in the old testament so when you start thinking about the comings of jesus christ there are actually three comings of christ two to the earth and one in the clouds think about this there's the first one to the earth, there's the second one to the earth, but there's the one that he comes in the clouds. We call that the rapture. Sometimes people get confused and they'll think that the rapture and the second coming are the same thing or they'll say, well, Jesus came the first time, then he's going to come the second time. Well, he came the first time to the earth to die. He comes the second time to the earth to rain, but he comes in between in the clouds. And so as we look at that and think about it, the first time to die, the second time to rain, and then coming in the clouds to get the church, which is the rapture. That is the next event you know that could happen any second. It's not like there's signs or anything. The, the signs are for the second coming of Christ to the earth. When you read and people talk about, oh, this is the signs, you can just tell it's it's the end time. Well, any time after Jesus Christ was the end times, according to the writer of Hebrews. And so Jesus Christ could come at any second. Paul deals with that in this letter. In fact, it mentions the coming of Christ at the end of every chapter. So here's what we're going to do this morning, and we'll go through it fairly quickly. I just want you to see this. Let me, I'm going to give you a little background on the letter, not detail. I'll go much more detail next week when we talk about Second Thessalonians because it's the same church, same background. We'll see that more next week. Um, we're going to look at the four key things we do as we await for Christ, and then I've got some questions to challenge us, to think about it, and uh, uh, how that all fits together. Now, I uh, trusted Jesus Christ. Most of you know that I didn't grow up in church. And I went to church once when I was six, once when I was 12. And I went off to college, wandered into a Bible study. And actually, they shut the door and I couldn't get out. And that that was good because I didn't know anything. But that night, I understood the message about Christ. And I put my faith in Christ as Savior. I had a good friend. His name was Ray Bridges. And he was uh, a a good... It was actually... It became my roommate. And he gave me a Bible. It was one of those little bitty Bibles. And I opened it up. And at the front, it said... Uh, K L U. That's what he wrote in there. And I said, Ray, what does that mean? He said, it means keep looking up. Because Jesus could come at any second. And I said, oh, I didn't know all that. But, you know, because I just trusted Christ. I went, well, that's good to know. Anyway, so when you think about it, uh, the, the, the Bible talks about that he came the first time to die on the cross to pay for sin. He's going to come a second time to the earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's Revelation 19, uh, verses 11. and goes all the way to verse 20 where he's the King of kings. Both of those are to the earth. But there's going to be a time. Another coming of Christ in the air, not to the earth. We call this the rapture. And that's the chart that we've put up. And so here we are. This is us. Jesus died and rose again, sent it back to heaven. That's his first coming. We're in the church age. And there's no time limit there. There was never certain things. We've already seen from the book of Daniel that God actually gave the Jewish people a certain number of years, 490 years. They haven't used them all up yet, but God actually told them years. He didn't tell us any of that. We just know that one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds. The verses that I read for our scripture reading, where it says he'll descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ, rise first, we who are alive and remain to be caught up together with him. First Thessalonians, that's that passage. That's, that's where Jesus is coming in the clouds, and that's going to happen, and it could happen at any time. So nothing has to be fulfilled. So before today is over, before we get through with this passage, any second Jesus could come, and hopefully nobody would be left in here. Now, if you're left in here, trust Jesus, okay? Because that's, that's the bottom line. So let me, give you, let me give you the background of the letter. That's what we want to see. Paul had three missionary journeys. First missionary journey, he went to what is modern-day Turkey. We call that region the Galatian region. That's where he wrote the book the letter to the Galatians. On his second missionary trip, he goes back through that same area and then he decides he's going to go a certain way, but God won't let him and he ends up in a place called Troas and while he's there, he has a vision and in the vision, a man from Macedonia says, come across and come to me. And so he crosses over into what we'd call Europe and he goes and he goes to a city called Philippi, named after Alexander the Great's daddy, Philip of Macedon. And so he goes to Philippi and he leads people to Christ and he gets run out of town and he goes to a town called Thessalonica. Still there, by the way, that town's still there. He goes there, and the best we can tell, he only taught for three or four weeks there. He led people to Christ, and when he led people to Christ, once again, there was an uproar, and they ran Paul out of town, and Paul goes on to Corinth. And the the believers who stay in, of course, who live in Thessalonica, they have the church, and they begin to meet, but persecution comes. And I mean, they're coming after him, and so Paul finds out about that that the persecution is great. And when we study both First Thessalonians today, Second Thessalonians starting next week, we're going to see that that's one of the issues. They're being persecuted for their faith. And so he writes to them to encourage these believers. They're undergoing persecution as they stood for Christ. And so basically, he's basically saying, Jesus is coming back one of these days. Here's what we need to do while you stand strong for Christ. Now, in our culture, uh, we don't have the persecution like there's some parts of the world. We have some uh, India pastors that we support. If you go to the mission board, write it down in the bottom. It says pastors from India, they're in southern India, and they're all waving at us and everything. Uh, they're fine unless they start moving toward northern India. And when they do, they, they'll kill them if they proclaim their faith there. And so in southern India, they can do that. There are other parts of the world that when people stand for Christ, there's great persecution. At this time, when Paul led these people to Christ, and he goes from city to city, leading people to Christ, forming churches, they're all being persecuted. So he writes to them and reminds them, look, you've got to stand strong, but one of these days, Jesus is coming back to get us. The letter is filled with that information. I want you to notice something. All five chapters mention his return. Look at chapter 1. Look at verses 9 and 10. Look what it says. I want you to follow this with me. You'll like it. He says, for they themselves report about what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and then watch and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. He says, we're waiting for the son to come. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 19. For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exhortation? Is it not you even in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming. Of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Look at chapter four, verse sixteen. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a trumpet, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain to be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so, so there it is. He's coming. And then look over at chapter five. Look at verse twenty-three. Then may the God of peace sanctify himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be reserved complete without blame at the coming of our lord jesus christ so paul writes throughout this whole letter five different times he talks about the coming and there's other places he mentions it i just want you to see at the end of every chapter he says this so as we look at this we want to look at four keys as we think about waiting for jesus christ that he could come back at any second what are the things we ought to be doing uh, it gets pretty practical, and, and, and some of it's hard. In fact, there's a couple of these things that are really hard, I think. And so what should we do as we wait for Christ to return? I've just picked out a few things. There's so many things I could pull out of this book, but I want you to see this. The first thing we should do is serve. We should serve as we await Christ's return. The first thing that Paul mentions is that it will be serving as we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. He is reminding the Thessalonians of their impact for Christ. He says, you were great examples. Look at chapter 1. Look at verse 8. He says, for the word of the Lord has, sur- has sur- sounded forth from you. He says, the message of Jesus Christ has come forth from the Thessalonican church. Not only in Macedonia but in Achaia, but in every place, your faith toward God has gone forth. So we don't need to even say anything. Paul says, when we start talking to people about Christ, they'll say, oh yeah, we've heard about that church, the Thessalonican's. Wouldn't it be something that people would say, oh, yeah, we know about that church in Stillwater that pre- presents a clear grace message of salvation? Wouldn't that be great if Paul, somebody would say, well, we've heard about your church because uh, it's going out everywhere. But then look at verse 9. Look what he says. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we have with you, how you turn to God from idols, notice, to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. They really did three things. They turned to God from, in other words, they had believed, they were, they were at all kind of pagan things, and they turned to the true God and they put their faith in Jesus Christ, and that was their salvation. And then they served him. They, they were known as those who were serving the true God as they waited for the son from heaven. That's what they were doing. They were serving God as they were waiting for him to come. And that's the key. What are we supposed to be doing as we wait for Jesus Christ to come? Is there, you know, it is the greatest thing of all to get to serve the living God. God has, has chosen us to be his instruments. It's hard to imagine that he would take us. This, just think about this body. I mean, we can think about all the Christians, but think about this local body. He has chosen us to have an impact for Christ in this community and throughout the world. And he says, I want you to serve me. I mean, before salvation, we couldn't serve God. In fact, remember when we, if we did good things, Isaiah 64, 6 says that the righteousness of man's filthy rags. But then when we trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, then Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, when people talk about the return to Christ, there are two extremes. One, one is a lot more than the other. The first one is this, is that people never think about his return. In fact, there's a whole bunch of people that don't even know. They, don't, they haven't studied in times. We told you when we studied the book of Daniel that there's so many people who will say in times. Oh, we don't know. Well, one day Jesus is going to come back. That's all we know. They don't know about They didn't really put together the first coming, the second coming, the rapture. They didn't know anything about the tribulation, the antichrist, any of those things. And so some people, when you start talking about what should you be doing as you wait for Christ to come back, they go, I don't even think about that. I don't even think about him coming. I, don't, I mean, maybe he'll come, maybe he won't. So that's one, and I think that's a lot of people. There's another one that's happened sometimes, and that's if they stop everything expecting it's coming. Now, that happened in Thessalonica, by the way. We're going to see it a little bit. We'll see some of it starting next week. But there were some believers in Thessalonica that said, if Jesus is coming back soon, we're not even going to work. We'll just wait for him to come. In fact, he could come any second, so we'll let other people feed us. That's why Paul had to write, if you don't work, you don't. Eat. He wrote that in there because they weren't, I remember as about uh, about 15 years ago, there was a group in Arkansas that moved to a mountain and said that they thought Jesus would be coming uh, within, within a week or two, and they, they they left their homes, they left everything, and just moved up on top of this mountain. Of course, he didn't come. I don't know what they did after that, but sometimes that's an extreme one way or the other. You never think about he's coming, or you just think he's coming right now, so I'm not going to do anything. Well, we should be doing something, and that is to serve the living God. Now, how do we do that? The key is this, the key is you offer your life. Now, let me, let me make this very clear. Offering your life has nothing to do with salvation. That's a confused message. Salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone, it's nothing. We trust in him. He's already done it all. It's, it's not our goodness or our works. It's by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. So when we talk about serving God, we're not talking anything about salvation. We already saved. We're talking about what do we do as believers and that is to offer our lives. Romans 12, one and two, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices. So if you want to make an impact for Christ, as we wait for him, you say to God, I give you my life. I want my life to count for you. I'll go over you wherever we go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want to serve you until you come. I told you I trusted Christ when I was 19. in that, that night, basically actually going to get a hamburger after the Bible study, I trusted Christ. But at 19, I trusted Christ. But I did not start to grow. And I did not... Offer my life in service till I was coaching at Mississippi State like six years later. And at, at that point in time in my life, at about six years later, I said to God, I give you my life in service. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. My whole life changed after that. So for all of us in this room, I hope and pray that every one of you have put your faith in Christ as Savior and you have eternal life and you're saved and you're saved forever. This is different. This is saying now, as a believer... What are you supposed to do as you wait for Jesus to come get us? He says to serve him. And the best way to do it is say, Lord, I give you my life. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. I want to go wherever you want me to go. I want to do whatever you want me to do. So here's the key are you and I serving as we wait? And by the way, some people think serving is going to church. Serving's not going to church. church. Church is preparing you to serve. We're equipping the saints to do the ministry. When we come on a Sunday morning, we always say it is to worship our God and Savior and to be trained and equipped to serve Him. That's the key. So the first thing is, as we wait for the return of Jesus Christ, we're to serve him. There's the second one. And the second one is be faithful. Be faithful. And he's really talking about using the gifts, talents, and abilities that we have. And I want you to see in chapter 2, in verse 19, Paul says this, and i am put it up here. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Is it not you? Paul is basically saying, when we stand before Jesus Christ, and he rewards us, it's going to be because you were faithful and that we led you to christ and you're our joy and you're our crown and you're our hope and he's saying they were faithful believers paul had been a faithful believer and so what paul is saying is this paul would be rewarded by god because of these believers because he was faithful and so the bottom line is are we faithful as believers we're to be faithful and that's the key to this whole thing the truth is this let me just remind you of this we when jesus christ comes we'll stand before him now, that sounds scary, and it sort of is. Romans 14 says, each one of us get an account of ourselves. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things we've done in this body, whether good or worthless. The truth is this, because we know Jesus Christ is Savior, because we're His children, because He's gifted us, one day we'll stand before Him. It has nothing to do with salvation, and it has nothing to do with sin. Sin has already been placed on Christ. When we stand before Christ, it's going to be based on how we served him or did we serve him. We want to hear him say, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. We don't want to be ashamed at his coming. And so this, the, the bottom line is he says, look, you're my joy, my crown, my exhortation. He's saying, when I stand before Christ because of the faithfulness of the Thessalonians and because of false faithful life, uh, there's going to be rewards. And that's the key there. And, and that's what we want to hear. What? Well done. Good and faithful servant. So what is required of us as believers? First Corinthians chapter four, verse two, more or brethren, it is required of stewards to be found faithful. Now this helps me a lot. Here's why. He didn't say it's required of believers, stewards, to be successful. He said faithful. He didn't say they're required to be smart, handsome, tall, have hair. Any of that. He said, that's not in the requirements. The requirements is just be what? Faithful. Wherever we are, whatever your gifts and talents and abilities are, it doesn't matter. Wherever God puts you, all he said for you to do is to be faithful and the Thessalonians were faithful Paul was faithful and he's saying I'm rejoicing because as we wait for the Lord when when he comes you're my crown you're my joy you're my hope he's saying because of what you've done and because of this and so the same thing for us we would say listen when when he comes all all we care about is him saying you were faithful that's what we want. And so here's kind of the question is, what are, what are your gifts and talents and abilities? How are you being faithful to be used by God now? We talked about serving him. That's the first one. The second one has to do with using the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us. And so what are your gifts and talents and abilities? And how can you serve? How can you touch lives for Jesus Christ as we await his return? There's a third thing. First one, be serving. Second one, be faithful. Here's the third one, and this is a hard one. Be holy as we await Christ's return. We live in such a fallen world and a fallen culture that we're just being bombarded all the time. Look at... uh, let me put this. I'm going to put this. Here. Look at chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. He says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in your love for one another and for all the people, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God at his coming. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to love one another. He says, it, with blameless in holiness before God at his coming. The goal for us as believers is to live godly and righteously. We talked about this in Sunday school because we're talking about temptation in Sunday school or grow groups is what we call them. But we were talking about this. So, so people say, well, it, it doesn't matter whether you live right or wrong or anything. You're going to heaven. Well, no, it, you're going to heaven is based on faith in Christ and not your lifestyle but the goal as a believer is to grow to be more like Christ, to be sanctified, as he called it. Sanctification literally means to be set apart. That's what it is. And that's when he said that he may establish your hearts in holiness. That's the word "hagios" in the Greek, which has the idea of being set apart, to be holy, That's the idea. This is called progressive sanctification, being conformed to the image of Christ. When you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you're saved and saved forever. Then this Christian life in which you're supposed to be growing to be more and more like Christ until he comes to get us is called progressive sanctification. We're being set apart, growing as a Christian more and more and more every day. That's the plan. It's usually like this. You know, It's not just like that. It would be wonderful if it was, but it's not. We're up and down. But here's what he says to do. I want you to grow. I want you to be holy people. That's the plan. Romans 8, 29, be conformed to the image. First Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Look at this. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look what he says, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your, what? Sanctification, being set apart. And then he explains it. That is you abstain from sexual immorality. In the in Europe at that time, in, in Macedonia and northern and southern Greece, at that time, I mean, the whole idea of uh sexual things were just out of control. And he's saying, Listen, you gotta be holy people, you gotta be holy people in this area as well. And our culture is out of control. What do, how do we do it? Well, I, I put down things. First of all, you study the Bible. You've got to get the scripture. You've got to put it in your brain. You've got to know it. You've got to study to show yourself approved. A workman need not be ashamed. You're approved to God. A workman need not be ashamed. You've got to take the truths of the Bible and be able to put them in your mind and understand them. And then, as Philippians 4, verse 9 says, you've got to apply those truths in your life. Not only do you know it, but you've got to apply it. And that's where Psalms 119 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you as you know the Bible, as you put it in your brain. When the temptations, when the problems come, we can have victory. We can, we can live righteously and godly. We can be a holy person. The third thing is living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is Galatians 5, 16, and 17. Walk in the Spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're to live righteously and godly. That is the plan. Look at this. This is in chapter 5, verse 22. He says, abstain from every form of of evil actually says appearance he's saying be careful even as christians something may not be wrong but it may look wrong so be careful on how you come across to the rest of the world to this community in the world how do you live as a believer be a blameless child of God. Notice verse 23 of chapter 5. Look how he ends this. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, set you apart, that's holiness, entirely, and that your spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved blamelessly, complete without blame. That's holy at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to be holy people. And so when you think about it, we're supposed to be serving, we're supposed to be faithful, we're supposed to be holy. So as we wait for Christ to come back, are you serving? Are you faithful using your gifts, talents, and abilities? Are we being set apart and living and growing to be more and more like Christ? Well, that takes us to one more. And and the one more is really about my favorite one. And that is to be comforting to others as we wait Christ's returns. And how does he comfort them? Remember, they're going through great persecution. And he reminds them. The way, the way to comfort someone is to go to the Bible. Remind them the biblical truths. And Paul comforts the Thessalonians with the truth, especially dealing with the rapture. When they are going through great persecution, he says, you're going through great persecution, but one of these days, Jesus is going to come get you. And he's going to take you off the face of this earth. Now, if you've already died, your body's going to be raised up. If you are not died, you're going to be changed. And that's 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. Verse 13, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who've already died. See, some people told them that if people died before Jesus came back, those people wouldn't get to go. And he said, no, 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 everybody's going. Everybody's going. So don't worry about that. But I love verses 16 and 17. We read those, but look what it says. For the Lord himself Descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. I wonder what the shout will be. You think he'll go, Hello, I'm coming. Who knows? This is the rapture. Now, this is not the second coming. The second coming, he comes riding on a white horse, as King of kings, the Lord of lords. Heaven's open, a sword comes out of his mouth. He's coming to bring judgment. That's the second coming. This is the rapture. This happens just like that. In a moment of twinkling an eye, 1 Corinthians says, in a moment of twinkling an eye, we'll be changed, we'll be gone. This one says that he's going to have a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and then the dead will be raised and we will be caught up together in the clouds. It's going to happen just like this. It's going to happen so fast, we'll just all be gone all of a sudden. And so what will he say? What will be the shout? What will be the voice of the archangel? The trumpet of God. And then he says, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And then he says this, we'll always be with the Lord. And then look what he says, because it's so powerful. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Let me tell you, there are a lot of places in the Bible that if you help people understand them, you'll be able to comfort them. There are people who'll say to me, I, uh, I was reading something and they said that there was going to be this antichrist and the whole world's going to be terrible. I hope I don't take the mark of the beast and I can say, listen, you know Christ is your savior, you won't be here. Oh, that's good. Or you talk to somebody and they say, what happened to, uh, what happened to my aunt when she died? And we talk about it and they say, well, she had believed in Jesus as her savior. I say, well, to be absent awesome from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. And she goes, wow, I feel a lot better. Sometimes when we talk and we teach people from the Bible, it comforts them. Listen, what if you thought that you had to hang in there to be saved? If I can just live righteously, if I can just do the best I can do, if I can try to keep the Ten Commandments. You know, I'm trying the best I can. I just don't know if I can make it. And then one day you hear that, look, it's not based on you. It's it's a gift from God. By grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. When you trust Jesus, he gives you eternal life, and you're saved, and so you're saved forever. And it's not based on your faithfulness. Is that not comforting? Yeah. So when we look at the Bible, sometimes as we await the return of Christ, we can comfort one another. So here's a question. Who, who are you investing your life in? Who are you teaching the Bible to? Who are you taking the truth? Second Timothy two: two take what you've been taught and, and teach others. Who are you helping understand truths from the Bible that would comfort them as we await the return of Jesus Christ? So what should they be doing? What does Paul say He says they should be serving using their lives. They should be faithful using their gifts. They should be holy, being like Christ. And they should be comforting, teaching each other the word. So for us, let's make some applications. First thing, are we serving? Have we offered our lives for the service of God? Think about it. Where are you? Now, I trusted Christ. I have to tell you this, and I'll go fast because I know time is almost up. When I trusted Christ as Savior, I knew I was saved. I was saved forever. As time went by, I realized that probably I should be living for Christ. But I was afraid to. I was actually afraid because I thought that, because see, what I wanted to be was a coach. And so I said, I want to be a coach. But if I said to God, I want to live for you, like I have to be a pastor or or a missionary or something like that. And I didn't want to be that. So I was actually afraid to say to God, I give you my life because I was afraid he'd make me do something I didn't want to do. But I came to the point where I said, I do want to live for you. I want my life to count for you. And guess what? I, I get to do exactly what I want to do. He changed my desires. And so now if you said, would you rather be a coach or a pastor? I go, oh, I'd much rather be a pastor. I don't want to be a coach. God changed my desires. Listen, Romans 12, 1, offer our lives. It's a tough decision now. Let me just say this to you. As a believer, if never made, if you've never As you're, you're saved and you're saved forever, but if you've never come to the point where you say, Lord, I want you to take my life and use me for your glory. Now, that's a big decision because he takes you at your word and you offer yourself to him. He'll take you and use you beyond what you could imagine. Second thing, are we being faithful? Are we using the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us? The key is not our gifts. The key is our faithfulness. There will be a time that you and each one of us will stand before Jesus Christ. The third thing, are we holy? Are we becoming more and more like Christ? Do you have time that you're studying the Bible? You're putting it together. You're making application. You're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're growing to be more and more like Christ. And last but not least, are we comforting others? Are we taking the truths of the Bible? And are we passing those on over? And let me tell you, especially, especially end time events and especially the idea of the gospel because there's so many people who are so confused on the salvation message, they don't know whether they're saved or not. And there's so many people that don't know anything about the end times. You can help comfort people. So as we await, let's offer our lives in service. Let's be faithful to use our gifts and talents. Let's become more and more like Christ as we know and apply the word. And let's pass on biblical truths to comfort others.